I think a really important one that I've kind of touched on in different parts throughout this chat is obsess over the problem, not the solution. And I think um, not a lot of um, product or growth people, but particularly early in the journey, um, it's easy to go at this great idea for something at an executional level. But if it doesn't actually solve a problem or you're not thinking about the problem in the right way, um, then it won't even matter. So, And the way that I like to think about that is um, having really strong hypothesis-led thinking. So um, when even like down to when you talk, say, I have a hypothesis around this rather than saying, this is my idea. And it creates a really different environment for challenge and for thinking um, and constructive um, conversation as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. In today's episode, my conversation is with Jessica Box. Jessica is an award-winning executive advisor and board director with experience leading product growth, and insights in $1 billion plus value tech companies. Jessica has also grown successful teams across agencies, partnering with the likes of Toyota, Slack, Visa, startups, and scale-ups like the famous Linktree, where she was responsible for scaling the company into a unicorn from its humble beginnings as director for product and growth. In this episode, expect to learn what it was like during the early days of Linktree, lessons learned from scaling the company to a unicorn, her strategies for building effective product and growth teams, the model she uses for hiring, how her unique leadership gets her the best out of her teams, and much more. I really loved having conversations like these with operators because it really takes you to the ground floor of these amazing companies where you get to learn how they became so successful and what you can learn from them as well. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on all platforms. It helps bring more content like this to your ears and helps us engage in insightful conversations so you can keep learning and being better every day. So with that, I hope you enjoy this insightful conversation with Jessica Box. All right, Jess, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, And uh, yeah, really appreciate you coming on. Excited to be here, Barry, and have a good old chat. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm really interested in your background. I think you have a lot of experience, uh, not just in Linktree, but also a bunch of other experience in tech and startups. Do you want to just give a quick brief on your background a little bit and sort of explain to the audience and to me how you got into what you're doing now and sort of segue into also, you know, the, the early days of Linktree, but, you know, we can sort of get into that later on. But I'd love to sort of get a, a quick background on on what you've been doing and, and how you got into this space. Yeah, definitely. I think um, maybe to kick it off, uh, I started prior to kind of really kicking off my professional career, actually in performing arts, which I'll come back to kind of where, <laughs> where that all began. Um, but, yeah, I danced for 20 years growing up and, and I found this kind of deep connection into the – I guess the discipline that comes from building a strength in a, in a craft like dance. And um, I remember when I finished um, school, I kind of was flipping between like a science tech based um, industry to study and then um, ended up kind of the last day before um, heading into picking exactly what I was going to do, choosing performing arts, because it was something that I knew that I was really good at, but also um, could, you know, double down on. And what I found is I kind of went through that journey. Um, I was always pulled to the 
intersection of really great creative um, and craft-based thinking, as well as how that kind of enmeshes with technology. And um, this was, you know, decade, well over a decade ago. Um, and I think it's it's interesting to think back to that time. And if I had someone that was able to coach me, like the amazing coach that I, I have now, I'd probably be able to figure it out earlier. But um, really, my whole career journey has been focused on how I can have the biggest impact on the world. And I think starting my journey um, in, in a creative craft has helped really kind of um, finesse that down. And I, I've always had um, what I like to call my day job, as well as um, a side project. And I think there's kind of the emergence of this portfolio career or, or the concept of a portfolio career. And I've kind of been doing that my my whole career and building um, transformational products. I'm super passionate about how we can transform, transform the world with great tech, um, amazing people and how we cultivate um, incredible talent and bring out the best in people and, and really create environments um, that are conducive to success and for teams to be, be really great. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to work with some amazing minds. When I started my career in agency and consulting, I, I worked with Nike on uh, really amazing physical activations in Australia. Um, actually, the first kind of iteration of um, Facebook commerce with them, which was way back, it would have been 15, 16 years ago. Um, and actually, interesting learning there on market timing. Um, the market was not ready for something like that then. Um, and Slack and helped them launch in Australia as, as well as um, Visa. And, um, what was great about agency days is the variety and breadth and getting to see a lot of different products in, in action and um what i loved about that that kind of then launched me into my next step is i really wanted to take dig deep and build products myself and I'm a big data fanatic and I think what happens when you're an agency and consulting is you get the breadth but you don't necessarily get the depth of understanding a business in and out and you know understanding the data and being able to make really great decisions um, day to day so yeah I went into um, early venture backed um, company called Finch um, and really kind of sought product market fit there um, that was a really fun journey we ended up having to sunset the consumer product because there actually wasn't product market fit there and pivoted um, the tech into a B2B platform um, that is actually performing really well today. Um, but great journey and kind of, uh, I guess, learning how to how to know what product market fit looks like and being comfortable kind of walking in a different direction um, if it's not working. And um, yeah, and then that led me to Finch building the growth engine, uh, led me to Linktree, sorry, um, building the growth engine from the ground up. I was the first um, leadership hire outside of the founding team and we were bootstrapped at the time. Um, very early days in terms of the growth trajectory. And um, yeah, I was brought in to build the growth engine from the ground up across um, product growth, um, growth market, and also um, parts of um, product partnerships and, and different components of how um, I guess the the products can play into building really great platform relationships as well so yeah that's that's a bit about the the kind of career arc and I've also been involved in um, the the nonprofit side of things with um, being managing director of girls in tech in Australia as well what was the I mean it, it's interesting to hear about the progression of your career and obviously with Finch, um, with also Slack and all of these companies entering Australia, did you see a change in the tech environment? Like just not just the product management area, but also in general, like the ecosystem as well. You know, obviously you being mm. sort of embraced, um, within sort of the ecosystem for such a long time. How did you see that evolved, especially as sort of leading up towards you know, you now with, you know, previously with Linktree and everything, but uh, 
how did you see the the landscape landscape change when it came to building these types of technology products in Australia? Yeah, great question. I think what's been really interesting to watch is like where this big generalization, I'm going to preface this by saying that we're generally quite a risk averse um, culture in, in Australia. And I think what I've observed over this period of time is um, a lot more um, people wanting to found, create and build things and the risk aversion shifting. And I think that's kind of a, a microcosm of some of these big platforms being built in Australia, like Canva is, you know, renowned for having their product team here. And it's almost acts as like a training course or a training ground for product people to be able to work at the scale and see the greatness that comes from building in hyper growth, which traditionally, obviously there's, you know, hundreds and, and if not thousands of companies in um, uh, the US that are doing this day in and day out and, and people have seen that kind of scale. I think when I kind of started in tech in Australia, we just didn't have that many companies that were at that scale. And the ones that were, you know, um, have become, you know, big, massive, uh, amazing companies, but a different kind of way of being in hyper growth. I think of like REA group, car sales, those types of equivalents. And now, you know, the Canvas and Atlassians are a bit of a different style and way of, you know, building tech from a product perspective. And I think we're seeing more people come out of those companies and go and build their own things. And you see it in lots of headlines, you know, of X person from Canva is doing why um, or Atlassian or, um, yeah, I think the the founders of um, Uke or Eucalyptus um, came from Atlassian. So I think it's almost like, yeah, as I said, a training ground for um, people to see what scale looks like and then go and build more themselves. <laughs> so you were, so sort of going back now with, with that, the, the career that you had, mm. what was the, what was the journey like now figuring out, okay, I've done all of this as cool work and amazing work with all of these large Silicon Valley companies. And mm. I've learned a lot. I was able to get on the ground floor and really help them expand into Australia. What were you seeking next um, in terms of your own personal development? But then how did that get you into sort of now thinking about, okay, how do I now grow something like, you know, Linktree, which is a, a homegrown Australian tech company? What was the sort of the interactions like with the founders? How did you meet them? You know, I'd love to sort of understand a bit about, especially when, uh, the the early employees of a company come together. You know, mm -hmm. usually it's not they're, post, they're not posting jobs um, on mm -hmm. career website. It's sort of like through connections. You know, mm -hmm. it would be interesting to sort of learn a bit more about how you met the founders, how you engaged with them as well. Yeah, I um I actually met Alex, who's um, co-founder and CEO, um, through Girls in Tech. Um, uh, Linktree was a sponsor of Girls in Tech um, in the first year of Linktree operating. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, it's really impressive for a company to be thinking about diversity and giving back to a community that early in the journey. And um, I'd been a user of Linktree because um, at the time I was um, also, you know, still kind of dabbling um, in, in agency and, and definitely within within the growth world. Um, and so I remember thinking when I was kind of wrapping up at Finch, you know, I would love to get an understanding of, you know, looking at companies that are, have a really big purpose of something greater than themselves that they want to achieve. And um, when I, uh, Mitch King, actually, who's prolific on LinkedIn, if you've seen him, um, he reached out to me and said, hey, really interesting, like, opportunity happening at Linktree. Um, and I had met 
met Alex before, but we reconnected and he said to me, you know, I want to leave the internet better than I found it. Um, and when he said that to me, it kind of, you know, I'd come from fintech and there's like a lot of regulatory landscape around fintech and, and complexity. And I was looking for something a bit more kind of an open playground to play in and, and really push the boat out of what's possible. And Linktree was seeing, you know, really solid product market fit at that stage from, I think there was about 1.5 million customers um, uh, globally and some of the big names had signed up um, that um, gave Linktree kind of a, a lot of um, strength within the brand early days. And um, Alex said, you know, I'm ready to, we've got like solid um, bootstrap, um, you know, revenues in a really good place. And we're thinking about maybe potentially raising soon, but we want someone to come and, and really think about how do we, you know, continue to build this momentum and sustainably grow. Um, and really it was something I, I couldn't pass up started jumping in that early. But to answer your question around how do you kind of make a decision around that, this was actually right at the start of the pandemic. So I didn't even get to meet Alex face-to-face -face and we were in that really kind of interesting land of um, not really knowing how to work remote or interview remote at that stage. And I remember thinking someone who was on the board of Girls in Tech at the time actually um, worked really closely with Alex um, at Bolster, which is the agency that Linktree was born from. Um, and he said, yeah, you'll you'll be able to um, have such a big impact on the business. And so to come back to, you know, what motivates me throughout my career, I, I just went, yeah, let's, let's jump jump and start building um, a unicorn from, you know, my house for two years, which was about how long we were stuck in lockdown. We didn't know it at the time. <laughs> what was that like, though, like building a product remotely? You know, you obviously had Zoom meetings and all that stuff, but maybe you can speak to the 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 sort of style that you had, uh, you know, when you came in, what was the dynamics like? Did you... Um, how did you have weekly meetings? Did you, especially with your team, sort of peppered across probably, you know, Australia and then probably other parts of the world? You know, yeah. what was that experience like sort of building everything remotely, for, at least for the two years? Yeah, I think um, we were 14 people when I joined, so really, really small, and majority were part of Bolster, um, which is the agency when I first joined. So we're in this transitionary phase of Linktree kind of becoming um, <laughs> its its own thing. And um, what was fortunate about that in terms of timing was actually that you know, the company was not large. So we could build the culture around being remote first um, uh, versus like other big companies that, you know, were struggling to find ways to, you know, replicate a lot of the, um, you know, speed and efficiency that they had um, within a physical office. So there was lots of rituals that we built from the ground up at that time just because, you know, they didn't exist anyway because the company was so small. So we tested a lot of different things, but I would say from a, a cadence perspective, things that worked really well is at that size, you know, we didn't have the values and vision and mission like defined um, the, the same way that it is now because, uh, you know, it's almost there's a magic in that stage of a company where you can just speak to the founders and the, the early team and you can feel the values because you tend to surround yourself with people who have similar values to you at that stage as you were mentioning before um and what we did was probably two really deliberate rituals that worked really well um we had an all hands which is kind of um now i would say linktree's kind of uh core ritual of where information gets shared with the company and i think at that 
stage within the journey it was so critical because things were moving so fast and and uh, we were we were growing rapidly we were adding i think at the time it was twenty five thousand customers um a day and um now it's kind of um as as i was wrapping up around forty thousand. so um scaled tremendously and maintained that growth which which is incredible but what that also meant was yeah things move fast so we also wanted to introduce um a ritual that allows people to pause and reflect and i think at time and create space for, um, you know, different factors and, and um, also components of your life kind of all being in the one one room, um, not to kind of wax lyrical about pandemic because we've spoken about it for so long, but it was actually so strange for people to, um, yeah, bring everything um, to, to their home the same way um, that we wouldn't necessarily see within the office. And, and that actually came, became um, a ritual that we had on a Friday, which was um, wins of the week. And um, people would share across their work and life, um, the, the wins that they had. And because we were moving so fast, there were big things like, you know, our creative partnerships team would sign up Selena Gomez and, and um, our engineering team would um, ship an amazing kind of uh, efficiency within the products that would make sure it didn't fall down because we had so many customers signing up. And, and what that created was a really open dialogue to share um, and create transparency within the company. And, and that's really been built into the foundations of Linktree from then all the way through to till now. With the, I mean, at least this doesn't just speak for Linktree, but just any of the products that you've worked on in the past, mm. how did you approach the product side of things? Because we all know what Linktree is now, but probably back then it was, it, it had some shape or form. And yeah. you, at some point, there was some thought and effort into thinking about what this could become. And so what was the lens that you put on, your personal lens that you put on, on especially coming into sort of Linktree for the first time, seeing, okay, this is what an MVP potentially looks like, but then how do you then take that and expand that out into something much more comprehensive you know what was was there a, a model that you went through a sort of a, a process or an approach that you use to really take this and massage it into what Linktree is today yeah i think um a, a way of thinking about things is a framework and frameworks are only as good as the, obviously the kind of ideas and concepts behind them but i think a really good one is actually thinking about competitive advantages or, or unfair advantages within a business and um what linktree and kind of other businesses I've, I've seen built um had in spades was a brand moat and um that was really clear early days um and so really you know what existed and, and what we kind of looked at was actually, you know, what, what a lot of people do wrong is kind of expand too quickly and try and develop too many, um, uh, you know, slices of the pie. But fortunately, Linktree created this category called Link and Bio, solving a really, you know, um, tangible problem. And I think what was interesting about that is as a category creator, you're totally um, at the behest of paving, you know, the, the forward thinking direction of the product. There's no kind of, you know, someone to look at um, to uh, see who's shipping, you know, uh, something totally different that you could replicate or, or you know, iterate and, and do better. Um, and so that is a really unique position to be in because, you know, Linktree had 85% 
market share of the category. There were lots of kind of different, you know, hundreds of different competitors trying to replicate, but didn't quite understand the secret source of like what the unfair advantage was that made Linktree unique. And I think that is when you come into a company um, and and building out, you know, Slack is a, a unique one where as well it also competes with lots of um, lots of big behemoths um, that exist. Uh, but the way that it's approached the strategy around let's go for um, the individuals rather than the companies first had approached uh, the built out a moat around the I guess the content and, and the engine behind behind Slack and and yeah so I, I would say strategically thinking about okay what is the moat is it is it like defendable and and is there anything that can be replicated um, and then kind of building through the different strategies um, that exist around that within the product I think early days um, uh, the brand moat was kind of just actually beginning to take shape. So we really focused on doubling down around that. And um, I think it was maybe a year after I'd been at Linktree, we saw searches for Linktree totally eclipse link in bio and it became this moment of well the kleenex um, of, of this category we created which you know was definitely something we celebrated as a as a win of the week um but i think what is interesting and kind of as the category has evolved um ensuring that um as a category leader you're able to continue to pave that way and i think um where kind of we were at probably the last six months is how do we iterate and take the category forward and what does that look and feel like which is a quite different way of thinking about product to where it was where it, which is like let's just go go and capture as much of the existing value as possible it's now then it's kind of what's the next tranche of value to be captured and how does the product support that you mentioned the whole interesting point which is sort of like the brand side of things and you had that moat and defensibility which is always a good thing because you are sort of those the, the market maker at that point in time everyone knows about you mm. at that at, however at some point you know there's definitely going to be competition coming in there's going to be yeah. an influx of people trying to do similar things i wanted to double click on maybe growth as well yeah. because building a great product is obviously great and it's the one that's going to drive um, the users to really adopt this but what was the strategy around growth because I feel like there's a there's an inextricable link between the two so was there any involvement on your side into thinking about what this could look like from a branding from a marketing perspective and how did you approach the growth side in conjunction with the product as well yeah, so I looked after both um, growth product and growth marketing, which was great because it would touch kind of both. But maybe before jumping into the, all that, um, maybe I'll set the scene on like how I see um, the difference and similarities between growth and product and how they're linked. And I think growth really has what I like to call three flavors. And um, that's product, which encompasses product management, design and engineering, um, marketing and sales, if you're in B2B. Um, and growth is really successful in different companies when you have three specific things. Um, one, ownership over the growth model. So um, in the inputs that drive the outputs and you're able to, some of that, some companies have that in marketing, some companies have that in product um, and you want to be able to move both. Um, and the ability to execute in cross-functional teams. And uh, the third part is clarity over which flavor that I mentioned is actually the driver in a business. And depending on the stage, it, it shifts and changes. And I think um, there's also something really interesting happening at the moment, which is specialties are developing under product management um, that have only begun to exist 
uh, in companies, I would say probably over the last um, 12 to 18 months, um, whereas other specialties in different disciplines have existed for such a long period of time. So it's awesome to see. And that's really core. So you're developing features and functionality um, for the products that, that don't exist and capturing kind of um, more value. Um, and then there's growth, which is the, the flavor of growth products that um, I was really focused on at Linktree, which is um, your product, as I see it, is a metric. And you typically back into a metric um, that needs moving like referral rate or something like free trials, conversion, um, by capturing more of the existing market. So to what I was talking about around um, the brand mode, how, that, that very much was linked between product and, and marketing because it was about capturing more of more value. Um, then the other flavor of um, uh, PM would be scaling. So this is very much around like how do you build a platform that supports core and growth um, and runs really effectively and efficiently so they can ship um, quickly. And then the fourth one is um, product market fit expansion or this like capturing net new value. So expansion into adjacent product lines or big strategic swings. And I think for Linktree, we've built both product and marketing at the same time to work in harmony together. And as I mentioned, I think depending on which stage the company is at, the domains and the breakpoints between um, product and growth are different. But um, I would say what worked really effectively was actually structurally having both um, work in a cross-functional unit. And that allowed us to look at the whole gamut of, you know, the very first touch point a customer would have with Linktree through to how they become, um, you know, a, a referral driver in themselves all the way through the journey of um, the growth loops that existed within the product. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And the, the, the thing you said about sort of those three pillars uh, with growth being one of them, do you feel like there's a sense of, you know, people talk about growth hacking and, you know, is, is that, I, I'm not sure if it's a thing or not, but I'm wondering to sort of understand a little bit about what's your approach when it comes to building out a growth strategy. And is there even such a thing as hacking your way around these types of products? Because it really does take time. It takes research and, and effort and to better understand a little bit about what the, what the trajectory of this potential growth strategy could look like. So does, did, when you're sort of working, whether it's Linktree or or Slack, what what was your approach to sort of growth hacking? You know, with with quotation marks. <laughs> I'm glad you said quotation marks because, um, interestingly enough, I really don't like the word hack um, when it comes to growth because it does exactly what you just said. It implies that you can find something and overnight um, it'll be successful and boom, you'll be a unicorn. <laughs> um, which you know what it takes to really achieve sustainable growth and 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 how to get there is actually a true experimentation mindset and i think i'll break that down a bit and give you some examples but i would say nine time out of nine out of ten experiments don't work and what makes you a growth person or, or focused on growth is pushing through and being incredibly comfortable with learning and the what the success that comes from you know thinking about growth levers and, and how they work is um being totally okay with things not working out and moving through that as fast as possible so if i was say the biggest hack if i was going to name one is that companies put, that perform really well um in terms of their growth mechanics is uh, they have a really well oiled experimentation culture and they learn through problems as, as fast as possible um, but having said that, growth loops as a concept is, is really critical to success in driving sustainable growth. And some companies like stumble upon them and then others have like really deliberate approach. And the deliberate approach is probably 
I would say stronger in terms of, uh, you know, obviously re- replicating that in terms of having multiple loops. And, and I'll break down, I guess, what a growth, growth loop is, <laughs> at least for me, um, which, which may be helpful. I've got sun streaming on my face here. Um, really, it's a closed system that has an input. So say a new user is created or a returning user comes back um, to the product, they then take an action um, or, or a step to generate an output, and then the output is directly reinvested into the input. So it just goes around in, around in a loop. And I'll give you an example to contextualize um, what, what I mean there, but um, probably a good one is Pinterest growth loop, actually. They do um, a user sign up, signs up or returns um, to the product. Um, they activate you on the product with really specific or relevant content, um, like a pin. Um, and then you save new content or you repin existing content. Um, which gives Pinterest really good quality signals around um, the intent of the customer and whether the content um, is strong enough. And then Pinterest actually will distribute the content and the quality content to search engines. Um, And then in order to close that loop around the output driving the input uh, that I mentioned before, a user will then be able to find a pin um, within a search engine that starts the cycle again and they sign up or, or return. So you can see that that's closed and that's really like when we talk about a hack, um, that's what drives the success of a lot of those those mechanisms. So the strongest loop for Linktree, for example, is visitors coming um, to a Linktree from say Instagram um, and Selena Gomez's um, uh, uh, Linktree. She's always the example that we use, so I don't know why. <laughs> Um, and then visiting the website and then signing up and creating their own link tree, installing it on Instagram, and then that cycle continues. So, yeah, hopefully that kind of breaks down some of the, the thoughts around how That's very cool. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, can we maybe just talk about, you know, you mentioned the growth loop, but also that ties in with the product as mm-hmm. well. What's the brainstorming process like? And, and maybe you touched on this earlier, but... If you're obviously you're working with a team and, and it's interesting to learn about how different product teams work um, and growth teams work with each other, uh, with different cross-functional teams as well, like engineering, leadership. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to understand a little bit about the approach that you've taken with your team in building out product ideas, brainstorming features. You know, what does this look like? What does that process look like for you guys yeah, it's um, it's absolutely the highlight of any planning cycle, I will say, um, but also can really easily become a time waster um, if not planned and, and executed effectively. Mm-hmm. I think, um, fortunately, because as I mentioned before, being category creator at Linktree or in other companies, I think typically founders end up having this fountain of ideas that they've had from the very beginning of starting a company. And um, often what's really important is, strategically framing up a brainstorm around a problem space and and then really the b- best brainstorms that i've seen and, and try to do this kind of start of every planning cycle has divergent thinking and convergent thinking um and really before jumping into that it's it's discovering the problem space as i mentioned and framing up that thinking so let me give you an example of a problem maybe of something that we would have done um creators don't understand their audience effectively to drive traffic to it. Um, I would then like to go and gather 
um, qualitative and quantitative data around that um, problem and really see who, not like existing data, but then also see who's doing it well within the market or like different sectors and bring kind of all of that together to frame up the conversation um, where there's core pain points and uh, you then bring together a cross-functional group of people to, to lay out that space. And I think where people go wrong is they just jump in and go, let's just brainstorm some ideas around things that could be really cool, which is also really great. I don't, I don't think that that's like necessarily um, a wrong way to approach things, but it, you don't necessarily get as high value um, insights or actions out of out of the brainstorm. So yeah, once you've kind of laid out the problem and brought the cross-functional group together and um, say we had like a growth group um, at Linktree that um, was truly cross-functional in terms of how different squads were um, broken down, happy to go into that in more detail, but had engineering, design, product, we had growth marketing, we would also have um, CRM, and then we would kind of bring in different executive um, uh, functions throughout the journey as well, if, if needed, or had strong opinions or great ideas in terms of um, their background. And, and I guess that's also something that's really important through this is like playing to people's strengths and knowing where people have had specific experience in say like a problem space and being able to have them lean in. But then in terms of the actual brainstorm, there's an exercise I really love to do um, that really creates like transformative thinking. And that is if you were to solve a problem in a way that would get you fired, what would it be? And it's like a pretty like standard one. There's a few different ways to do it. But what that does is like the divergent thinking pushes people to the edge and also removes the day-to-day -day constraints of like their role. I think the best brainstorms break you out of the specific discipline that you're in and make you think for the company and what's best for the customer. And so, yeah, you do that. And then the second cut is, you know, if, if you were to take that away and make it happen today, what would it look and feel like? And so you push the boat out, but then bring it all the way back. And it also removes um, personal attachment to ideas as well and means you can move a bit faster. So, yeah, as I said, in Linktree or well, any company, really, there's no shortage of good ideas. But, yeah, the greater challenge is prioritization and refinement around a, a really, really true problem. And I think focusing relentlessly on the problem is where companies can, can go wrong around some of these things. Not hmm. Let's talk about, um, and you mentioned, obviously, there is that team aspect of it as well. You are obviously working with a whole bunch of different people, brainstorming this, trying to work with cross-functional teams. Let's really talk about maybe the team structure mm. uh, and perhaps double-click on what does a good product team look like or a good growth team look like? Who are, What are the key attributes you look for in mm. those types of people? And maybe that you can allude to something about maybe they need to have these cross-functional learnings across these organizations. So what, what do you, from a personal standpoint, you know, mm -hmm. when you're building your own team, how do you scope, scope out the right people to join and, and to really make sure that you guys can um, have the cohesiveness, but also have the, um, the ability to argue and, and sort of challenge ideas to, to make sure that you come up with the best solution at the end of the day? Yeah, it's, um, I will start by saying there's no one-size-fits-all approach to structuring teams. And also, I think, um, particularly hyper-growth stage of a company, you should be comfortable changing and evolving structure based on the needs of the market and also the needs of the business as well and new people coming in. But I would say from the early days, because the team was so small, there was a lot of disciplines that just 
quite frankly, we didn't have within the business. So the way to kind of, I guess, start the foundations of a really strong growth engine, um, what we did was um, at Linktree specifically was have a guild of people um, across different functions to begin with who met monthly um, to discuss how we capture more of the existing market value that Linktree had um, had already gathered and, and the opportunity in the spaces that existed. And what that did was actually, you know, as I mentioned, had 85% market share. And I think at the time it was about one billion visits to Linktree's per month, which is just wild in terms of scale. Um, and the size of the opportunity was huge. So we began to really invest in building out a growth group from that guild because of how many great kind of, um, I guess, uh, iterative and, and experimentation-based approaches we were taking from that guild because, you know, teams were existing and shipping, you know, gaps within the product in terms of functionality. But there was this layer of thinking that was existing on top around how do we go about capturing more value and, like, where can we do that, um, it, you know, through some of the existing um, mechanisms that existed. So decided we really wanted to double down around that and built a growth group under product um, but also embedded growth marketing um, team members um, to scale out the engine um, as we went through. And so really we had squads um, specifically talking a lot about the um, Spotify um, structures uh, here, but we had squads that were focused first. Um, one was around acquisitions. So they looked at things like um, uh, product SEO, which is really unique for Linktree because um, uh, obviously, uh, you know, Linktrees can also exist um, from a search perspective. And the engine I was talking about around Pinterest is also um, something that uh, exists for Linktree, um, referral and more. And so very product, um, led approaches that are low cost and, and, um, uh, quick and effective, but also paired closely with the paid media team for things like one of the most successful experiments we ran actually was, um, removing a step within the sign up flow because someone had already selected their plan and that improved, you know, all of our core metrics from a paid media perspective, LTV to CAC was um, a lot stronger and we kind of doubled down on that across all channels. So that's why working really closely across each of the disciplines is, is really important. Um, activation, so how do you get customers to the aha moment as fast as possible and remove as much friction in that first session um, uh, that they have within the product. And I'll say that's something we were working on probably the whole time I was at Linktree. Um, and then monetization, so we actually did a major piece of work um, with the growth group focused on a revamp of our pricing and packaging and to capture more value um, within the product, which is a whole kind of school of thought that was really, really interesting um, to explore, but ended up introducing two new plans that helped our customers better self-select into the plan that um, suited them and distribute um, the features and functionality across the different plans. So yeah, this was kind of the, the growth group focus. Um, and then we had other teams within the product or focus on the, what I mentioned before around core. So the jobs to be done, how do we kind of help our customers, um, you know, uh, unlock different pieces of value within the product that hasn't existed before things like, um, commerce links and how they monetize on the link tree better, you know, customization options. Um, and uh, yeah, understanding that audience around analytics. So, um, yeah, that was kind of how we structured for some time, but yeah, I will say, um, as I mentioned before, kind of being comfortable shifting and changing based on the needs is so, so important. And I think having a system based mentality is, is super critical. So the system, you know, ebbs and flows over time. And how do you make sure you adjust kind of what the org needs as a whole? And something that's really interesting, I would say, actually, in bringing in a growth team too early, Linktree didn't do this, but 
pre-product market fit, you could fall into the trap of um, the word growth means that other people don't take on growth as their responsibility. And we did see a bit of this um, at, at Linktree and kind of overcorrected with some almost like specific growth team members going into other squads and being kind of the voice of how to do experimentation. And we saw a lot of great success with that in terms of people being able to adjust and think about um, growth in a different way. But it is actually like growth is such a um, blended term that it can have unintended consequences if kind of not being really deliberate about how other teams contribute as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, bringing in a growth team too early is probably shooting yourself in the foot and really not really focusing the efforts on building a great product at the end of the day. And I think yeah. because if it's a PLG company, I think at some point, um, you know, the growth team will eventually step in and, and really come to uh, understanding about, okay, this is what the, the function of this team looks like. Uh, but obviously there's a time and a place for that at the mm -hmm. end of the day, which is basically what you alluded to. Maybe we can also talk about leadership a little bit because mm -hmm. maybe what I see as well, being a former product manager as well and sort of working, um, going through the ranks, a lot of people ask me about, well, what happens when you become a product leader or head of product um, mm. or director of product and where you're sort of in this position where you're now in charge of other people um, and you, your, your job is to make them obviously work together to mm. really collaborate with each other. What are the um, sort of the journey maybe for you as well in sort of moving through the ranks, becoming a product leader yourself and what are the challenges associated with that because I'm sure there's a lot of great product managers out there, but perhaps mm -hmm. not a lot of great product leaders and, and managers. So how do you sort of continue to use the skills that you have, but then combine that with a managerial level, a layer of, okay, I have to be in charge of the welfare and culture of my team now. You know, what, what did that look like for you? Oh, that's this is a this is a big one. <laughs> I think um, the shift from being a contributor to being a leader and then only being a leader because I think there's also kind mm -hmm. of this in between journey where you're doing both, which is really hard. <laughs> um, particularly in a in a startup environment, you end up kind of wearing both hats for a period of time. The the player coach um, scenario, but I think where it comes down to is. Um, where you get your energy. And I also think like not everyone should be leaders. And, and I think understanding where you get your, where you get your energy from is really critical to this. And do you get your energy from seeing others be successful or do you get your energy from deliberately being successful yourself? And I think not a lot of people ask themselves that or, or previously pathways didn't exist, um, in, into leadership. Um, now we're seeing a lot more kind of excellence IC tracks where people who, you know, don't have direct reports, um, you know, progress through the ranks, so to speak. Um, but previously it was, you had to lead people in order to progress. And I think, um, what that did was cultivate, you know, a range of different people becoming leaders that, actually we're not really great leaders and we're not playing to their strengths. And I think that comes back to um, probably core of, I guess, what I learned through going through the ranks and, and kind of going through that journey of being comfortable letting things go and trusting your team to be successful. It's actually playing to people's strengths and also not, um, not 
uh, I guess, letting teams kind of flounder and get stuck without clear direction. They're probably the two clear components of, I guess, building and cultivating great teams is one, you give teams really clear direction, um, but you give them the space to go and learn themselves. And then the second part is, yeah, as I mentioned, um, cultivating teams and playing to their strengths. And I think um, something that's really great that I like to utilize um, is Gallup's Clifton Strengths, where you understand um, uh, each person's individual strengths and weaknesses. And then you cultivate almost like a um, sports team style environment, a real true understanding of where someone is really great. Um, say for example, in vision and strategy, um, where someone may not be as strong, which is in execution. And so you bring in different team members and, and have kind of say product managers deeply understand um, how to play to someone's strengths and, and get the most out of their performance. Um, but yeah, that, that would be probably, they're the two areas I would say. That no, I think that's great. I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to also hear about sort of like, you know, being able to in, you know, I guess, probably inspire people to to do their best work and, and and letting go as well. And it just doesn't happen with product leaders. It happens with anyone who gets into that a sort of leadership position where you're no longer an IC or individual contributor anymore, but you're there to really make sure that the team sort of steers in the right direction and, and making sure that you're looking out for the, the, the welfare of, of the team members, making sure that they're happy and that they're excited to do the work. So there's definitely another layer to that, but then in mixing that with, okay, I still need to be a product manager, still need to make sure that I need to build, we need to create a great product, whatever that may be, um, is interesting. So I think there's a lot of lessons there uh, learned and I'm sure a lot of people will get that, uh, get most out of it. Maybe we can also just go down the advice route a little bit because I think the, there's a lot of probably aspiring people wanting to get into startups themselves. And they're trying to understand, okay, what role should I occupy? And um, how should I be the best that I can be uh, when applying for these jobs? Do you have any tips on people who want to get into product management or into growth uh, mm. that you can really espouse to them to say, you know, these are the things that you should learn or you should look into or you should have skills in um, that should helpfully get you to where you want to go? Yeah, I think um, the first thing is be ready for a totally unstructured environment. <laughs> I think if you're someone who likes structure, that stage of a company is not for you. Um, but in terms of the tip around that, you really need to be the custodian of your journey and steer the ship um, in the direction that you want it to go. And I think that stage of a startup journey, you get to touch a lot of different areas, which is really exciting. Um, but it's often led by you. So if you're interested in learning something specifically, um, say like a deep skill within, um, UX design, um, that met, but maybe you've been a UI designer previously, um, that you have the space to drive learning that. Um, within an environment where you're able to get signal or um, customer data really, really quickly. So I, I would say be comfortable um, stepping into areas outside of your comfort zone and pushing the pushing the boat out and steering the ship in the direction that you're passionate about. That's one. And then more specifically around, I would say, product and growth. Um, 
I think a really important one that I've kind of touched on in different parts throughout this chat is obsess over the problem, not the solution. And I think um, not a lot of um, product or growth people, particularly early in the journey, um, it's easy to go at this great idea for something at an executional level, but if it doesn't actually solve a problem or you're not thinking about the problem in the right way, um, then it won't even matter. So, And the way that I like to think about that is um, having really strong hypothesis-led thinking. So um, when even like down to when you talk, say, I have a hypothesis around this rather than saying this is my idea and it creates a really different environment for challenge and for thinking um, and constructive um, conversation as well. Um, the other one is like data is your language and you need to read it like a book. And I think uh, there's there's no getting away from that, particularly around um, uh, being able to move at speed and understand um, whether something's working, not working, um, and upskilling around how to how to have strong data literacy is critical. Um, and then the last one would be just um, strategic thinking and, and I guess kind of zero to one thinking as it's often called, which is um, being able to go from scratch and, and build something from from the ground up based on first principles um, and uh, outside of frameworks entirely. And I think that's where the magic um, often happens. You, you can have frameworks. It's more frameworks help you structure your thinking rather than, you know, being beholden to a framework to do the thinking. Um, do you think that there's like a, cause I feel like, you know, in, especially if you're coming out of college or university, it's, you don't really learn this sort of stuff, which is kind of unfortunate. You know, you'll learn very yeah. theory based things. You know, would, would it be worthwhile for these people to get more involved in, um, trying to get into, you know, uh, you know, other startups and, and mm. sort of just getting hands on doing internships, learning as much as they can. Because the only way I think from my perspective is to have real world experience and try to, or maybe even build a company yourself, you know, be a yeah. startup founder and, and, and learn from there because that's the best way to really find exactly, uh, what that's all about rather than just reading it in books. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree that it's like the 70-20-10 principle, not to like talk about frameworks, but 70% on the job learning. Um, and I think I would go with the second one, actually, which is like build something yourself or find someone that is building something that's really early and like give up some of your time um, for maybe like, you know, small amount of equity, um, but really like get the experience working with someone who is building something um, early. And I think... Um, you know, a lot of like startup communities exist where there, there are founders that are early stage. And I, I would encourage if you don't have the idea yourself, though, there's lots of amazing things coming out of particularly Gen Z are looking at their careers totally differently to um, how we looked at them. And I think starting things yourself and this kind of concept of, you know, the creator economy and the passion economy, which is where Linktree existed in, is um, building towards your passions. Um, yeah, test things out yourself. I met um, this uh, amazing person who... Um, was a full-time doctor and saw this problem within um, uh, the healthcare system and went, you know what, I'm going to go and build myself and taught himself how to code and is building the product um, himself. So it's, it doesn't even, you know, um, just exist for that specific kind of out of um, uni, uh, you know, um, cohort of people. It also is people who are, you know, in a different industry or career and want to transition into um, something tech related as well. <laughs> 
Let's switch gears a little bit and understand a little bit about what, what's what's happening for you right now. Uh, you know, you recently left Linktree to sort of greener pastures. Tell, do you want to sort of explain a little bit about um, you know why you left or what's the what's the next step for you and uh, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, it was an incredibly hard decision as I'm kind of shared. There's been so many amazing. Um, things I've learned from Linktree, but um, I'm actually in the early days of becoming a founder myself. So to come all the way back to the start of what we were talking about um, around, uh, you know, uh, each of these amazing kind of unicorn companies being <laughs> the playground for people to learn. Um, yeah, I, I'm advising on early um, uh, scale up companies to build their growth loops, um, similar to what I've been talking about today. But yeah, building building my own um, product, which I found a problem space that. Um, I can get into in, in a, maybe a couple of months um, that I've obsessed over and have, have seen kind of the problem for a period of time. And I've always felt that um, becoming a founder was a path that I wanted to head down, but I spent the time really to get the tools in the toolbox to be really successful. Um, and I think um, Alex, Nikki and Anth are just, you know, such phenomenal people. They're the founders of Linktree and um, I see them as family and we went through, you know, went through the trenches together in the journey that was Linktree. But yeah, they unlocked such amazing experience and exposure for me throughout that journey that, um, yeah, felt like the right time to step out. And, you know, I wanted to take those learnings and one, share them with other startups who um, can, you know, get there faster in terms of their journey um, from an advisory perspective and then to test what I've learned and build something myself because I, I have a big um, passion for growth, both personally and obviously as a, as a discipline. So, yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's the Wild West as is usually um, this stage of journey, but a lot of fun as well. That's exciting. And, yeah, I look forward to we – all, we all look forward to seeing what that looks like down the road. Um, but uh, it's always fun when people leave these – large large companies that were initially small working through their their way up and and scaling these companies and then finally leaving and you know the the nest is a bit empty and sort of trying to figure out what their next uh moves are so it's yeah. always fun to see uh what those types of people are, are looking are doing in the near future maybe we can also uh double click on the stuff that you're doing in girls in tech um I'm sure there's a few people out there who know it, but a lot of people who don't know what it's about. Do you want to just give a perspective on uh, what it is and, and how you're sort of uh, working with them? Yeah, so um, Girls in Tech is a global nonprofit, so founded by Adriana Gascoigne um, in the US and has um, 62 chapters around the world now, I think, um, which uh, is dedicated to connecting, engaging and inspiring women into, into tech roles. And, and really, um, everyone part of Girls in Tech is a volunteer. So um, it's, it's all about how can you build a, a community of women across like all different stages of their career journey that um, acts as a foundation for propelling um, each person into, into what they do next. And I think a big thing that I've noticed through being involved, and I was the managing director um, for uh, six years and I've just stepped back into being a, a volunteer myself to, to create space for um, uh, uh, obviously all of the good things that I'm building on the, on the founder side. But um, I think what's been amazing through that journey is just watching how much has changed in terms of the connection that um, women are starting to feel the different facets of tech. I think um, obviously engineering specifically, there's um, so much to do that starts really at an earlier 
um, stage in the journey of how do we get more girls to think about um, these pathways um, very early on. But then how do we also support people transitioning from, say, nursing, which, you know, we actually saw a lot of people wanting to move from other industries into tech and not really knowing where to start. So it's being able to create a space that um, supports women through those different journeys and, and helps build confidence and an understanding of what the shape of different tech roles looks like. Very cool. Uh, I think this was an awesome conversation. I want to finish off with maybe a few last, you know, four questions. Um, and <laughs> something that I've, I've wanted to sort of started to ask some of the guests because the recommendation, recommendations they provide have been really insightful. So it's been interesting to see their answers and, and, uh, I look forward to, to what you have. But, uh, yeah, there's basically four questions. The first one is, uh, do you have, one to two books or podcasts or anything uh, that you can recommend uh, to to other people, and it doesn't have to be about product or growth, but anything that really piques your interest about sort of um, your, your what you're excited about. Yeah, I actually read an amazing book. It was the first book I read this year, um, and it kickstarted like my frame of thinking about the year really <laughs> in an amazing way. It's called Stolen Focus, um, and it talks a lot about. I guess kind of not necessarily looking at like you need to go and focus more it's more about why we can't focus and understanding philosophically um what the attention economy has created and, and kind of uh, i guess helps you rethink about some of the areas of impact that we can have in tech so highly recommend anyone in tech um having a read of that but also anyone in general that uses a smartphone <laughs> I think that will definitely be me because I think there's so many things going on, especially if you're, you know, building a company or a startup, you know, you've pulled into so many directions and it's really trying to have that focus and, and probably saying no to a lot of stuff as well. So mm -hmm. I think that's going to be probably, already, and it's called, what is it? Uh, stealing focus? Stolen focus. Stolen focus. Okay. Um, yeah. Great. And I'll put all the links in the description below as well. Uh, next one is, how do you approach your day? Uh, you know, everyone is different. Maybe it's structured. Maybe it's just go with the flow. How mm -hmm. do you, um, especially when you're in a company, not necessarily now, but perhaps when you were in sort of the trenches, you know, mm -hmm. did you, did you follow a routine? What, what did your day to day look like? Yeah, I'm very habits driven and I think it's critical for, um, uh, particularly that stage of a company to be religious with your habits. And I start my day with exercise um, pretty much every single day, 6.15 a.m. Um, uh, and that kind of creates the framework for how I run the rest of my day. Um, and typically I do a lot of work with the US, so I'll do kind of calls in the morning um, and then structure the rest of my day around where I need to do um, other things. But I would say from a like week to week cadence, something that I found to be really effective is having um, meeting-free Monday I think often you get pulled into um, unimportant, urgent things, um, particularly when you're growing and things are falling apart and are on fire often. Um, having that one day where you're able to do important, not urgent, if you look at the quadrant, um, is super critical. And I found that to be really great from a routine perspective to get some of those like more long-term strategic thinking um, pieces done really effectively. Great. What do you like to do outside of work? Um, I know you mentioned exercise and all that stuff, but I think it's important, at least for me as well, just to sort of disconnect once in a while and, and not have the burden of work always on the back of my mind. So mm -hmm. how do you sort of do things that are non-work related that 
effectively help you with work at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, what, what sort of things you like to do? Yeah, I have a really big family. So my dad has eight brothers, um, which is wild. So I love spending time with family. It's really important to me and we all have kind of similar values and you get to spend a lot of time kind of immersed in other people's lives and talk about things that are um, you know, different or push the boat out on different topics um, as well. And then I also have an amazing partner who happens to be in tech um, as well um, and a fluffy little angel toy caboodle um, who uh, both really keep me grounded and I think um, we laugh a lot and I think laughter is, is you know, some of the best um uh, moments of my day and in, it means that you're able to kind of yeah take the enjoyment um out of each and every single day and we try to we try to do that um whether it's you know i don't know going for a walk or going for a hike but finding spaces to be able to laugh and enjoy <laughs> sounds good and then finally what is the best way for people to connect with you um my link tree which is um uh link uh slash jessica box Box, perfect. And I'm sure they'll reach out to you for consultants, advisory, or just want to get you into an amazing uh, next venture and, and vice versa as well. So thank awesome. you so much for your time, uh, Jess. It was uh, really great to have you on and also provide your insights into everything that you've done. And um, hopefully wish you the best of luck with your new venture. Uh, and uh, hopefully, yeah, we can, we can definitely stay connected. Thanks so much. It's been awesome. <laughs>